We'll be reading verses 15 through 21 tonight. I was talking to a coworker a while back, and um, you know, he was explaining to me something about the graves in Louisiana. My company actually is based in Louisiana, and uh, it's interesting because um, he was telling me about how they built the tombs uh, and the graves there in, in Louisiana, and he was showing me uh, that the tombs are actually above the ground in many areas there in Louisiana, especially where it floods a lot. And so uh, he was explaining to me that after a certain amount of time, they stopped putting graves six feet underground and began to set them on top of the ground. And what they were doing when they were putting those graves on top of the grass and building them on top is they were covering them completely in concrete. They were completely uh, burying these things in cement, but keeping them above ground, making them so heavy that when the floodwaters were come, uh, that these graves were no longer going to be washed upon the shore. I gave the guys some pictures. If our media crew can put those up right quick, uh, if they have those pictures of the floating graves tonight, uh, that's what it looks like in the floodwaters of Louisiana. When the rains would come, uh, caskets that were meant to stay buried beneath the surface began to come rising up again. They would float all the way down the streets. They would float uh, all amongst the city, wherever the floodwaters would take them. Uh, and they were something that was supposed to be dead, something that was supposed to be unseen, something that was supposed to be long uh, and forgotten with, uh, buried deep beneath the surface. But let me tell you, when the floodwaters came, uh, these things were not able to stay beneath. Uh, they caused a manifestation, and all the things that were supposed to stay buried and dead underground began to come alive again. I was thinking about this because I look at these cemeteries and I'm thinking to myself, what a picture of the flesh. I don't want to be too graphic tonight, but I do want to make a point this evening, church, that no matter how much you suppress the flesh, it always has a potential to rise back up again. Even after you think that you've crucified it. Even after you think, uh, hey, my old self is dead and gone, and all you see is this perfect uh, new believer Christian that I am. Uh, there is no more of me left in me. Can I tell you when the floodwaters come and the pressure comes and life begins to happen and circumstances begin to happen, uh, if you're not careful, the old dead you can rise up again uh, and begin to overtake your life. Are you with me? I want to minister about our flesh this evening and remind you, that no matter how Christian you are tonight, you are still who you are. That just saying no one time is not enough. Answering one altar call is not enough. Saying I'm going to go uh, the extra mile one extra time, that is not going to be enough because you and I are in a daily battle against our flesh. And can I tell you, there are graves in your life uh, that are waiting to come to the surface again. And unless you allow Jesus to keep them buried, uh, you, your old nature is always one step away from rising back up. Galatians 2, 15 through 21, the Bible says tonight, we who are Jews by nature are not sinners of the Gentiles, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. Even we have believed in Jesus Christ, that we might be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law, no flesh shall be justified. But if, 
While we seek to be justified by Christ, we ourselves also found sinners. Is Christ therefore a minister of sin? Certainly he is not. For if I build again those things which I destroyed, listen, if I build again the things that I destroyed, I make myself a transgressor. For I, through the law, died to the law that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ that lives in me and the life which I now live in the flesh. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Verse 21, I do not set aside the grace of God. For if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ has died in vain. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you, O God, for this opportunity to gather this evening. I thank you for this chance and this privilege to minister the word of God. I pray, God, that you would bring a word in due season. God, that you would challenge your church, O God, to greater things, greater faithfulness and commitments. God, now is not the time that we slow down, but now is the time that we press the battle to the gates tonight. God, give your church wisdom, revelation, and strength, God, to pursue the will of God. In Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people said amen so let's take a look at our text because in our text is something that would be called a transition text according to moody's commentary uh, it is the section that summarizes everything that comes before and makes a point for everything that is going to come afterwards paul is confronting a mindset and he is confronting a people that are actually considering backsliding he is considering people that would have been in the Galatian church uh, that a word would have got back to him that so-and-so is thinking about leaving the kingdom. So-and-so is thinking about turning their back um, on Jesus Christ. And this was written directly to the church in Galatia. Galatians 1.6, uh, he says this, I marvel that some of you are turning away so soon from the one who called you in the grace of Christ uh, to a different gospel. He says, I marvel that some of you who have been saved and born again, washed in the blood of Jesus, are now turning away from that authentic gospel truth and going to a different gospel, turning to a lie. I wonder how many believers tonight are considering leaving the kingdom of God. You haven't told anybody. You haven't confessed it. But yet in your heart, in your mind, this is something that is crossed in your thought process. What if I can go somewhere else? What if there's something else for me this can happen on a sunday night service that you know you can be so faithful on a sunday night service the thought can hit you what's the point of a sunday night that you can be driving down the highway as me and my wife are driving down the highway here i'm new to houston i've been here just a few years uh, and we're taking beltway eight this is the first time i've taken beltway eight uh, uh to the east and uh and so we're coming down this way and i'm looking at all these big beautiful mansion churches shut down no church service tonight because they're too big. They're too holy. They have uh, enough wisdom and discernment uh, to try to challenge people to go to church on a Sunday night. Why? Because you don't want to pressure people into doing something for God. You don't want to pressure people into living for God. Uh, so if we want to grow with the times, let's just give everybody the Sunday night off uh, just so they can go and veg in front of their TV. And people start to believe that in our church and start to think, why are we having church on a Sunday night when nobody else is? Well, let me tell you, if you're the only ones doing it, I doubt you're the only ones right. See, listen, we have a fellowship. You are not the only ones in church on a Sunday night. You are not the only ones doing this. The devil might lie to you and say, oh, what's the point? Can I tell you, we have our mother churches in place doing what we're doing. 
We contend because we are not going to fall. There is enough religions out there falling and enough churches out there giving up on their call and giving up on their destiny. And our fellowship remains one of the last churches on earth that are contending in the way people don't want to. We contend for that tonight. That we're not going to give up. We are not going to shy away from challenging people to be faithful to church. Oh, we don't want to offend anybody. We don't want people to think we're demanding too much. Uh, can I tell you that the devil has demanded too much of you and you never complained once? What that is, church, is it? That's the flesh rising up. When I first got saved, can I tell you, my flesh was completely dead and I was all in unto the things of God. But after being saved for a few years, the mind battles began to come. And, and what's the point of all this church? What's the point of all this ministry? What's the point in all these standards? What's the point in all the things that we uphold as true and convictions? What's the point of it all? You know what happens? Uh, that flesh began to rise up again. I began to question my fellowship, be question uh, my pastor and his convictions. Like, why? Why do we do this? And I didn't even realize what that was was a subtle devils rising up in me again my flesh began to rise up that if i would have said no to this sunday night service the next thing to go would have been my sunday morning because the flesh is never completely dead you know that your flesh is not going to be done with you until you get to heaven oh thank god for that but that's going to be a long ways away we say praise god pastor preach we just gonna leave our flesh behind uh, and we're gonna be in the presence with jesus christ amen but you know what we have a long time before that that means until the day we get to heaven, we are going to have an enemy, and that enemy is going to be our flesh. And it can rise up inside of us. See, he says that people will turn away to a different gospel, that it will turn away to a different truth. I was talking to our church this morning about in our Sunday school, and we were talking about King Hezekiah and his uh, struggle with Sennacherib and 2 Kings. And we were talking about how Sennacherib uh, uh, had his little messenger go and give a word from him to the Israelites and try to come and, 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 try to come and threaten uh, uh, Hezekiah and his men. And he went out there. And you know the words he was saying? He was eventually going to be judged by God. He was going to be killed by his two sons, Sennacherib. He was going to be killed by both of his sons while he was worshiping a false idol. And that judgment came because of one thing, because the word that he gave to Hezekiah was this, or Hezekiah's people, don't listen to Hezekiah when he tells you God has something good for you. When Hezekiah, your king, is telling you there's promise for you and destiny for you, and God has given you good things, and when he tells you that your God is going to save you from this enemy, and he's going to prosper you here, and he has good and beautiful plans and purposes for you, come on somebody. When he says that he has all these things for you, the devil Hezekiah, or the devil Hezekiah, the devil Sennacherib, Hezekiah was a godly king, not a devil, but Sennacherib would come in with his words and be like, listen, when that man of God tells you that God has good things for you, don't listen to him. He's lying to you. Well, what do you mean he's lying? He's telling me that God has a purpose and a plan for me. He knows the purposes for my life. He's got a plan, a future, and a hope that he wants to give me. No, 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 no don't listen to that. He's lying to you. He's deceiving you. He's trying to trick you into to being a Christian. He's trying to trick you into being a brainwashed believer. And so Hezekiah takes that letter and all the words that Sennacherib wrote, he goes and lays it before God 
at the temple, gets on his knees and lays that letter out to God. He says, God, I want you to look at the words that my enemy is saying. Look at what my enemy is telling and saying about us. And he's, he's saying to the people of God, my enemy is telling the people of God, don't listen to truth. As it's spewing it in their ear, God, you need to judge it. And God judges him. Can I tell you, that's a picture of the flesh. That when you want to do right, is your flesh that says no. Right? The apostle Paul, what does he say in chapter 7? He goes, why do I do the things that I don't want to do? And I don't do the things that I want to do. I want to pray, but I just don't. I want to read my Bible, but I don't. Right? I can't think of a deeper word than don't. <laughs> my, my vocabulary just hits a certain area. But, you know, he's like, I, I, there, there's the things I want to do, but I just can't do them. But then the things I don't want to do, I find myself doing it all the time. What is that? Why, why do I keep going back to this? Why do I keep going back to this addiction? Why do I keep going back to this mindset? Why do I keep going back uh, to these doubts and these questions? I'll tell you why. Because like Sennacherib, your flesh is rising up speaking to you. Confronting you, condemning you. Trying to keep you from listening to the one uh, that has the truth for your life. Amen. Come on now. The Apostle Paul even goes deeper. He says, let me tell you where the twisting of the gospel comes from. Verse 4. He says, this occurred because of false brethren secretly brought in who came in by stealth to spy out our freedoms, which we have in Christ Jesus, that they may bring us into bondage. The Apostle Paul is saying, I'll tell you one of the biggest enemies or one of the biggest avenues that the flesh begins to rise up in people People start to seep into the church that want to confuse the church. People start to come into the church, and their entire purpose of coming to your church is they've been secretly brought in by stealth, kind of like the stealth jets, that are un, un, uh, they're, they're un, uh, you can't kind of uh, uh, tag them or you can't, you can't pick them out. You can't locate them. They come in by stealth to spy out the freedom of the church. So what he's trying to paint the picture of is that you would have somebody that hears about the revival going on in your church. Perhaps they're of a different religion. Perhaps they're a backslider of this church. Perhaps they're an enemy of the kingdom of God. They hate that you've moved into a new building. They hate to hear that God is doing great things and they're left behind. And yet they send somebody by stealth to come and look at the freedom that you guys have. I want you to go and scope out the church, see what they're really doing. I want you to go and check out, uh, and if you have the chance to tell somebody that, that their church is wrong or their pastor is wrong, uh, then I want you to start to say those to those people. That's what's happening here in Galatians. He is warning the church that there is an enemy out there that wants to come in and collapse what God is doing in this church. Secondly, let me talk about floating to the top. Because as I mentioned, the danger of the flesh is that it never fully dies as long as you and I live. When the Apostle Paul speaks of crucifying the flesh, church, he is saying that this is a daily thing, not a one and done issue. You can't do a one hitter quitter on the devil. How many know that? Anybody ever seen a one hitter quitter? Any, any boxing fans, MMA fans, people that love fighting? Pop, boom, just one hitter, you know, just the ones where the guy's just on the ground, just shaking. Thank God that never happened to me yet. Pastor, you're going to take off the wrong disciple one day and you're just going to be on the ground. I know I should have said that to this dude. He looked big. 
But there is a warning to the church to always make sure to remember that you're fighting an ongoing battle with yourself. And this is a battle that must daily be revisited. So you think of those tombs in our pictures. I don't know if you've ever buried anybody. If you had family members that you've been at a, at a funeral with. When those things go into the ground, those caskets go down, that represents a, a final goodbye. That you put roses in that casket, you say goodbye to your beloved, uh, and you lay them to rest, and you say goodbye never to say hello again uh, until we see you again in heaven. Uh, and you let that stay there, and you move on. Uh, and that is something that people think happens when they get saved, uh, is they've said goodbye to their flesh. But this is something that's not supposed to happen. See, that's not normal. I showed you the pictures, y'all were like, oh my God, caskets floating. Because that's not something you see every day. That's not something that's, that's supposed to happen. It's not a normal thing. It's, I'm going to just go outside and check the caskets floating around the water today. That's not a normal thing. And so people think uh, when they read the scripture, I've been born again. I'm saying goodbye. I'm crucify crucifying my flesh. Uh, I'm killing my flesh. Uh, I'm denying it daily. And they think kind of it's a, it's a one time and done. And hey, you know what? I'm a believer now, pastor. And they, they, they doubt the fact that they could ever fall again. That they could ever make a mistake again. And yet, it's like if God were to look at our lives, he would see a lot of this going on in our spirit. Well, you know, no, I know that you got saved. But if I could give you a perspective of how I see your soul, there are a lot of things that you have killed that you've let live again. That if God were to give you an insight spiritually, I wonder how many of you have opened doors that you once shut. That as a Christian, you said, I'm going to cut these things off. I'm going to cut these people off. I'm going to cut these habits off. Uh, I'm going to implement this into my life. Uh, but yet, suddenly, the graves begin opening and the tombs begin to rise. Uh, and you pretend that you still have victory. And God's like, oh, if you could only see that your soul uh, is just full of caskets floating. Because you and I have to keep the flesh in check. The Apostle Paul says something very profound in Galatians 2, verse 18. He says this, if I build again the things which I destroyed, I make myself a transgressor. If I build again the things that I destroyed, I make myself a transgressor. Let me ask you a question, church. Did you destroy something in the name of Jesus Christ, but years later, Assemble it back together. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna open, I'm gonna, you know what I'm gonna do? I'm gonna get on Facebook and find that old friend of mine and I'm gonna rebuild that relationship. Right? Well, I thought you cut them off when you got saved. Well, I'm gonna cut off all my girlfriends. And then after you've been saved for a while, you start checking on, hey, hey, what are you doing? Building it up again. Oh, come on now. Woo. Things that you cut off, that you say, you know what? Hey, now I'm born again. I'm living for God. I'm cutting these things off. Uh, and the apostle Paul says, if I find myself building up the things again that I've destroyed, I make myself a, a transgressor. Anybody seen that old movie, The Christmas Story with Ralphie? 
The dad's putting that clamp together. <laughs> and he collapses. That's how people do their sin. It's like they've already cut it off. They've already killed it. They've already destroyed it. Uh, but then you find them pitiful and miserable trying to tape it back together. And hopefully it'll stand. It's not supposed to stand. That's why you, you broke it down in the first place. Is it supposed to be dead? You're not supposed to go back to the grave and assemble it again. Oh, no, I, I can do it. I can make it work. I, it'll be okay this time. No, there's a reason you tore it up in the first place. It's possible for believers to be set free from something and then start to rebuild the same things that they once destroyed. See, the Bible gives us clues into this and insight on how to have victory. Let me get ready to close. Let's take a look at different ways that you and I have to subject our lives to God. That if you are going to be a successful Christian for the long haul, then it is going to demand constant suppression of your flesh. We could say crucify it and kill it, but the reality is we can't kill it. Right? We say, man, just kill the flesh, bro. It's a lot easier said than done. We can't kill it because you are who you are. Your ways, the things you've become, they are who you are. And therefore, that doesn't mean you can kill it. It means that you're going to have to daily crucify it every single day. The first way, mental subjection. That you're going to have to subject your thoughts to Jesus if you expect to be a victorious Christian for the long haul. How many would agree, if I make the claim, that 90% of your battles are mind battles? Right? All the decisions you got to make in a day. I forgot they did a study on this about uh, how many decisions somebody actually makes in one day. And they made, how many, like three, 30-something thousand actual decisions, like from the moment you wake up to I'm going to get off on this side of the bed to walk to the bathroom, brush my teeth, pick this, pick this toothpaste. Now, every single little decision, somebody actually went through the headache to, to kind of count out how many decisions you make. I need that kind of job where it's really a nothing job. You just kind of make it up as you go. You just, you know, you just got a degree and, hey, you know, you, did you know that you make 47,532 some decisions a day? Oh, man, wow, the wisdom. <laughs> but the Apostle Paul speaks in Corinthians and he's talking about mental subjection. 2 Corinthians 10, 3 through 6, the Bible says, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to our flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments, casting down every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ, being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. First Peter 1, 13 through 14. Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind. Be sober and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Like obedient children, do not conform yourselves to the former lusts as you did back when you were ignorant. Because remember, you sinned as a sinner, you sinned in ignorance. He's saying, listen, don't sin in ignorance anymore. You know how to fall in ignorance? You go back to your former lust. That's how you do it. And if you want victory, then you're going to have to gird up the loins of your mind. And you think of the scripture. Peter is trying to make the point of a man in battle. 
that you would understand that, men, they didn't have jeans like we have jeans today. That if you see the old Bible movies, they all got that skirt, right? They all got that dress that these men would wear. They all have a belt, and they all have a dress, and they all have their sandals. And the idea of what Peter is trying to portray or, or what he's trying to convey is he's, he's trying to make a point about the mind. And he's saying, hey, listen, you know, if, if a man is going to go into to battle in Bible times, what they would have to do is they would have to reach down, grab the back of their dress, pick it up to their stomach and put their belt on to make kind of a type of pant or a short or a short. That he's like, men can't fight in a dress. So what you got to do is you got to gird up yourself. You're going to have to pull from the back, uh, tighten that up, put your belt around it, and get ready for battle. That your mind has to be tight and aware. And he says, you know what? I'm going to use that picture of battle, and I'm going to put it in my letter, and I'm going to say, if you want victory, you better gird up the loins of your mind, not just the loins of your pants, uh, but the loins of your thoughts. That your mind has to be in the right place. And when people's minds are not in the right place, you see them decline. The fiery darts of the enemy that are meant to pierce and burn them. When somebody has a tight mind, they're obedient. When somebody's mind is in the right place, there is no struggle. They are where they're supposed to be. Such a blessing to, to be able to come and visit your church uh, and just to be able to see the men in place. To see your people in prayer. To see your people ready on their instruments. Practice, prayed up. Ready to go because you don't know who's coming tonight. Doing what you do. Whether or not you see a visitor or not, uh, you are where you're supposed to be. Doing what you're supposed to be doing because that's tightness. That is you suppressing the flesh. Uh, that me being faithful to church has nothing to do with my flesh. Uh, it has to do with my spiritual obedience to the one that saved me. And that is why you and I do what we do. That is why we contend, church. And we have to keep our minds in the right place. Okay, there's mental subjection. We understand that. Amen. Praise God, pastor. Preach it. We got to get control of our mind battles. Amen. But what about physical subjection? What about telling your body what to do and what not to do? Telling your body where to go and where not to go. Telling your feet where it can go and where not to go. 1 Corinthians 9.27, the Apostle Paul says, I discipline my body and I bring my body into subjection, lest when I have preached to others, I myself might become disqualified. Can I tell you that physical behavior is a manifestation of your thoughts? You know, the Bible says that what comes out of the mouth begins in the heart. That if somebody says, oh, ah, it's because it's there. It's in their heart. People don't just accidentally go off. It's in the heart. Right? Like, man, how could you say such a thing? I'll tell you how, because they think it all the time. You know, somebody just go off, oh, my God, you hear what they said? Oh, my, how could they say that to me? How could they? How could they? It's because all day long they're thinking that. Wives be just, be, you know, when wives says something. They've been thinking it, just waiting for the right time to say it. <laughs> I got something for you. I'm just, just writing it all down, and when it's ready, I'm just going to let it go. Pastor, she just comes with all kinds of words and like a, a paragraph, and she's going to lay it all out. Because she's been thinking for a while, brother. Even you got a lot of strikes against you, brother. You ain't been doing right, man. She's been marking it down. <laughs> the manifestation... The manifestation of what's in here will come out. 
Can I tell you that the reason people allow their feet to take them somewhere is because their hearts have already gone there. You know why people cheat? Because their mind has already gone. If somebody's in a relationship with somebody who's not their spouse, let me help you, they'll probably fall with them. Just give it some time. They'll start to really be enamored with that person, really start to like them, really get buddy-buddy comfortable rubbing elbows with them to where they're, hey, they're just like one of the guys. I'm just so close to them. I've seen it before, telling a man you shouldn't be doing that, and then they fall. Why? Well, because before my feet went there, my heart went there, and nobody could tell me to stop. Well, pastor, I'm just, I got to take control of my mind. Yeah, but let me help you. If you don't, that becomes your physical thing. Why do they keep going? Why can't they stop going to the casino? Why can't they stop gambling and buying lottery tickets? Why can't they stop uh, doing this and doing it? Because all day long, their minds are thinking about it. And it begins to manifest in their actions. People think, uh, uh, you just got to stop doing what you're doing. No, you can't stop doing what you're doing. Because unless you stop thinking what you're thinking. What else do we have to subject to God? Number one, our mind. Number two, our bodies. But number three, our tongue. There's power in the tongue. Power in the way that you speak. The Bible has a lot to say about words, and James says it this way. We can go to James chapter 3, probably verses all of you are familiar with, but I'm just going to touch up on them tonight. James 3, 2, the Bible says... That we all stumble in many things. If anybody does not stumble in word, then he's a perfect man and he's able to bridle the whole body. Indeed, we put bits in horses' mouths, verse 3, that they may obey us and we turn their entire body with that bit. You know, horses are strong animals. And yet all we got to do is put a little bit in their mouth and put a little string to it and it'll control their whole body. You can't hug a horse. You can't tackle a horse. Uh, you can't grab their legs and bring it. You can't cow tip a horse. But what you can do is you can put. I ain't going to say nothing. You can put a bit in their mouth and begin to just take them where you want them to go. You know why a lot of people are broke? Because all they talk about is being broke. Man, I'm so broke, man. I never got money, man. And yet they don't even realize that their mouths are just keeping them cursed. God might want to bless them. I just never got money, man. I'm always broke, man. You know why people are always sick? Because they're always saying they're sick. I'm always sick, man. I'm always sick. I always got this. Always sick. Always sick. And you just keep saying it. And you keep saying it. And what's happening, you don't even realize the devil has put something in your mouth causing you to speak a word curse uh, into existence. And he's guiding you with it. That we have to put this thing in check. Verse 4. He says, look at the ships. Although they're so large, they're driven by fierce winds. They are turned by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants it to go. You have a big old Navy ship, and then you just got a captain up there just steering the wheel. It's such a small thing, but yet it directs an entire massive object. It says, how great a fire can a, or how great a forest can a fire kindle? Verse 5 through 10. We'll read that tonight. James 3, 5 through 10. The Bible says, uh, just like this small rudder, just like this horse's bit, uh, it says, even so the tongue is a little member and it boasts great things. See how great a forest a little fire can kindle. The tongue is a fire. It is a world of iniquity. 
The tongue is so set among our members that it defiles the whole body. It sets on fire the course of nature, and it is set on fire by hell. Verse 7, for every kind of beast and bird, reptile, creature of the sea, is tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but nobody can tame the tongue. It is an unruly evil, full of deadly poison. With this tongue, we bless our God the Father, and we also curse other men who have been made in the similitude of God. Out of the same mouth proceed blessing and cursing. And then he says, my brethren, this should not be. That we are not supposed to bless. You know, there are people that will, uh, uh, you know, hey, pastor, hey, God bless you, pastor. Bad pastor, I'm loyal, pastor, pastor, pastor. Huh? And then they go home and just bash their wife and their husband. Blessing on one end, cursing on the other. I love my God, I love my kingdom, but I hate you. Oh, but, but God, oh, my Jesus, oh, God. But I can't stand you. Get on my nerves. With the same mouth you bless and with the same mouth you curse. And the brother of Jesus Christ says, my brethren, this should not be the case. You have to control your tongue. Man, it is heavy work doing battle against our flesh. Subjecting our mind to God subjecting our bodies to God and subjecting our words to God are some of the hardest things that we are going to have to do in this life. But can I tell you, for those that learn how to do them, there is a great blessing on the other side. If you learn how to do this, if you learn how to fight this battle correctly, You'll be victorious. Let me get ready to close with this verse of scripture. Luke 5, 1 through 2. Luke 5, 1 through 2 tonight. The Bible says, So it was, as the multitude pressed about him, Jesus, to hear the word of God, that he stood by the lake of, of Gennesaret. And he saw two boats standing by the lake, but the fishermen had gone from them, and they were washing their nets. And, you know, I don't know if you had a chance to hear Pastor Greg Mitchell's Friday night sermon at the conference a couple of weeks ago. If you haven't heard it, you need to go and find it and watch it. It is a tremendous, tremendous sermon. In fact, I took the thought and I preached a whole sermon, not on what he preached. He had a great thought, and I just kind of went in a different direction with it. But he did bring this scripture up, and I believe it was his launchpad verse of scripture. But he had mentioned uh, that he saw th that they said two saw uh, Jesus saw two boats standing by the lake, and the fishermen had gone from them, and they were washing their nets. And so he, he makes an amazing point about people who were kind of, you know, they, they got to a point where they had already got done fishing, got done serving, got done working, and by the end of the day, they were already hanging their nets up. And it's very interesting. If God has called you and I to be faithful believers, guess what? We never hang our nets up to dry. That is something we never do. That means God has equipped us with 24-7 with overnight nets. Nets that we should never have to wash clean and set up and, and let hang and dry. That our nets are a part of the God-given solution to this world. That you and I are going to be constantly believing God for revival. Seeking the lost. Who we can pray for. And it's interesting because the picture of hanging up your net means you're hanging up uh, something that you're done using. You're done with it. Strong believers never get to the point where they think, you know what, I'm done with this battle. I can hang up my net. 
Say the net represents your fight. Say the net, that I'm gonna hang something up. You know, like, you know, they say a boxer boxes, he's gonna hang the gloves up, right? Oh, I'm gonna hang my hang, I'm gonna hang, I'm gonna, hang, I'm gonna retire, I'm gonna hang up my boots. I remember when Pastor Ruby had asked me to come and assist him. I, I remember I took a picture with my work boots. My wife took a picture of me and was like, well, here you go, retire them old work boots, because now you're gonna be uh, now in an office. I have this picture of my work boots. I'm hanging up the work boots for a couple of years and then put them back on. You are never going to be given the opportunity to hang up your fight. You know know what? I used to fight my flesh, but guess what? I hung that up a long time ago. I don't want to fight that flesh no more. I'm I'm done here. I'm just going to hang up the battle. I'm going to hang up my gloves. I'm so tired of fighting this battle. I'm going to hang it up. Listen, church, you cannot afford to hang up your fight. This is something that every believer is going to have to come to grips with, that this is a fight until we get to heaven. If you stay on the right track, God's going to use you. Let's bow our heads tonight. Hallelujah. Glory to God.